Maybe you can round it up in your group. I'm sure you're, you've just started on it, and maybe just one, done one or two hearts. Um, I don't know how you continue later on, but I would suggest um, either with someone or even in your small groups, you could go through the hearts and pray for one another on a regular basis. Joe, by the way, has done an amazing job with this, hasn't he? Amen. Really well done. Fantastic. It's like a little jogging track around their own hearts, and uh, it might help us. Um, just uh, probably good to uh, do the last three hearts in one go, and then uh, the questions are there on your sheet, so you can go into them, but rather than uh, doing another discussion later on, uh, we thought it'd be good if we could then pray for one another. Um, and uh, I'll tell you that a little bit later after I've finished and then give you some things you can pray into and then pray for one another on the heart um, because it's our deep desire, I think, to see a change <laughs> and to see the effect of it rather than having something there because it's only when we do something with the whole of our heart it will then have an effect and for us to trust God in that. So can we just... Finish the last three of the hearts. Uh, the sixth healthy heart is a cherished heart, a loved heart. What it is, is really, is to be that you know from deep within that you're unconditionally loved by God. Nothing can change that. No matter what you do or how things turn out, but God loves you. It's not based on your looks, performance, success, or achievements. But through life itself, our hearts might feel rejected rather than loved. And the same Absalom in 2 Samuel 14, after he killed his brother, he fled. And it was Joab who made him come back to his father. But when he came back to his father, Joab said, your son is back. And David said, put him in the house, I don't want to see him. And for the next three years, David didn't see his son. Or two years, sorry. In those two years, hatred and bitterness were growing on the inside of Absalom. I do believe that when he returned, he could have come back to his father repenting and in unity. But his father refusing to see him made something grow inside of him. And he started to rebel. He later on became the, the son who persecuted his father. David didn't deal with it. He ignored the presence of his son. You know, that's a terrible, terrible thing to do. And the symptom is this. If you have been ignored or overlooked, not just sometime, but maybe longer periods in your life, you might feel rejected. And in the church, it's important that we do not ignore people who are different than we are, are difficult. I'm not saying just be difficult. <laughs> but what can happen if you encounter people that are difficult, you can pretend that they do not exist. 
you just ignore them. And they might turn inward in feeling rejected. You know, in Genesis 4, we find Cain feeling rejected because God's favor seemed to be on his brother Abel. And as that feeling rejected, not being rejected, God didn't reject Cain. He felt rejected. That's a different thing. It had nothing to do with rejection, but with something sinful in Cain's own heart. It was either pride or jealousy or a mixture of both. You know, especially with feelings of rejection, we should take a good look at our own hearts. So don't say quickly, I feel rejected because of. But you might think, I feel rejected. What is the cause of this? It might be in my own heart. It might be jealousy. It might be pride. Where does this feeling come from? There's a great example of a cherished and loved heart. And I would say David is the same David who rejected his son Absalom was also the David who was a great example who could have feel, felt very rejected. Remember when he came for this, with his lunch to his brothers who were in the army? They said, what are you doing here? You're just doing here to just have a glimpse of what we are doing. And so they tested his motives. Then it was Saul who really tried to kill him. You know, if there's any feeling of reaction there, you feel pretty rejected if your, son, your father-in-law tries to kill you. But even when a certain recognition came, and for David, you know, he's been chosen by the people, and they sang a song in honor of him, he had the opportunity to kill the one who was after his life. But instead of killing Saul, he confessed, my hand will not touch the one that God has anointed in 1 Samuel 24. That's the heart of a man who does not live with rejection, but a man who felt cherished and loved by God, knowing that God was on his side. So it's an important one. There are questions with this one. And uh, it would be good to just examine your heart in this area of where you feel your heart is. Is it whatever there is, God wants to heal that and restore it? Seventh expression of a healthy heart is a cheerful heart. A heart that's excited and joyful, being comforted and encouraged. Proverbs 17, verse 22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine. You know, our hearts can help us in a healing process. It's sometimes much better than paracetamol or other stuff. You know, a genuine, joyful heart gives radiance and strength to your body. Did you know that people that are joyful look younger? I think most of you look really young, to be fair. <laughs> no, but it's true. People that are joyful, they not only radiant with their eyes, but their bodies, everything in them is younger. It's healthy for your body to have a cheerful heart, a joyful heart. But our hearts might be affected by life itself, and we can become disappointed and frustrated, a bit like the elder brother in Luke 15. 
His heart was growing on the inside. And he became a frustrated man. He was legalistic. And he became like a, a tight kind of guy. Rather than the joy of being close to the father, he had grown into a sour grape. A lemon-lime face. You know, that kind of life. He wasn't happy. You look at him and what he said. He wasn't happy in himself. Not happy with salvation of his brother. Not able to join the party. That's not a lot of fun to be around with. So the whole of his life had become a duty. No joy. In other words, it became a job rather than a calling. You know, you can be in church like that. No longer really, it's duty. I'm here because I have to be here. If, if I'm not here, someone is missing me and tell me I missed you. Yeah. <laughs> the symptom is this. When others receive what we feel they don't deserve, the younger brother spoiled everything, uh, gets away with it, still ends up with the inheritance, with rings, sandals, and a rope, you can become inward-looking. The feelings of self-pity and jealousy set in. Because someone's trying to take your place. That's what you feel. There's a beautiful example of a cheerful heart. A cheerful heart is an encouraging heart. A joyful heart is an encouraging heart. And again, we read of a guy called Barnabas in Acts. He not only believed the calling of God on Paul's life, he made way for Paul amongst the apostles in Jerusalem. And then later on, Paul takes over the leadership from Barnabas. Barnabas leading the team at the beginning of Acts 13. And later on, it says that Paul and Barnabas. Paul was then leading the team. And he arrived in Antioch, and it says, he saw the grace of God, Barnabas, and he was glad. You know, that's quite something. A church that experiences a revival, he then comes and he brings the grace of God, and he's joyful. What an example of a cheerful heart, a man who brought cheer to what was already revival. You know, he stood out from even revival as a man full of grace. That's amazing. What a heart. Okay, there's some questions with this one. And then the last one, a healthy heart to be a confident, the eighth heart is a confident heart, a courageous heart. That is someone who's calm and composed, not easily upset with people or with circumstances. You know, I find that a great heart. Because you need people in days when uh, uh, there's trouble to just, you know, you've got those, I remember people in, in church, you know, when I, I, I was leading, I was just a young Christian, I, for the first time I was leading church. And, and stuff was happening in the front. I did not know how to respond. So instead of doing anything, I sat down next to an older guy. And I was just sitting there, and I thought, how do I do this? And so he just looked at me and said, let it just pass, thank you. It will disappear. Just wait two more minutes. It'll go. And just he was just so relaxed, and it was just a joy to be with him. And it did go, and he was just so helpful. But he just said, I've been here. <laughs> I've done this. So just relax, which was great. Um, but instead of having a composed heart, able to read the circumstances, and a heart that's just relaxed in it, you can get a heart that is full of fear, a fearful heart. 
It says of Saul in 1 Samuel 17 that when he and all Israel heard these words of Goliath, they were greatly afraid. So Saul and his army are shivering, unable to move or do anything. You know, fear came through words and the words kept coming. Fear came by seeing this guy every time, this giant of a man. Fear had found a way into the minds of Saul and his army. So what is the symptom? <clears throat> when we find ourselves in situations or with a company of people without faith, we can find ourselves in positions that breathe fear instead of courage. What fear does, it cripples you. It makes you unable to move. To do something that God has called you to do, but you are so afraid you don't move. Sometimes fear comes through words that intimidate us. <clears throat> I think when it happens, <clears throat> excuse me, when that happens, you must also realize that faith comes through words. Yeah. Not just fear comes through words, faith comes through words. What is important in church is that we speak words of faith. Faith comes to hearing and hearing to the words of Christ. When fear enters our minds through things we might see and things we might be confronted with that can be really real and it can be in front of you. Faith is about things that we cannot see. But the Bible says that faith is beyond the things that we cannot see. It's a conviction and a certainty of things that we hope for. A great example of a confident and courageous heart is that same David. A young teenager in the camp, not affected by the fear of all the men around him. He did not give room and space. And I've been here a couple of years ago, talked about David and how he came into this camp, not dominated with Goliath, but his mind was totally filled with God. So it's either Goliath or God, he chose God. Well, that's eight hearts. Some questions there. What I'd like us to do is that we will have some time to pray for one another. And I said earlier that maybe one or two of these hearts are applicable, applied to you in this season in your life. Um, I was going through the hearts just now with a name and basically saying to one another, I'm convicted on all hearts. I am. I look at these hearts and think, yes, competing, yes, broken, yes, <coughs> driven, yes, wounded, yes, yes, guilty, Lord, yes, guilty. But it's not about guilt, it's not about um, these things, but I also find that in some areas in my life, I'm so happy that I'm more fulfilled now than I was 10 years ago. And uh, I see progress, I see change but I also see there's more change needed. And so don't feel under any conviction in that sense. It's not about that. It's not about sin either. 
So just relax. It's not about sin. It's about having a healthy heart so that your body and your mind and everything is healthy. So you're more effective personally, in your family, in church, and beyond in the mission. And so it'd be wonderful to pray into that with one another, to pray for one another. I was uh, we just reminded uh, by what the said that David was a man after God's own heart. And uh, God loved him of being honest. You read the Psalms, they're so honest. The reason why we go to the Psalms quickly when we are in some kind of situation is because we find in David a man who just does that. So just be honest. I say, God, God, I can't help it, but I'm in this. Will you help me out? So it's not big prayers on the best prayers. On your, your, God just looks at the heart. So it's not, not what you say, but it's what is in here. So even if we just practice a little bit in praying for one another, just practice what is in here. I, last week I was in Oxford. That was about uh, another theme about the gifts of the Spirit and, and baptism of the Spirit. But I found myself praying for a, a couple of people. They were there were just with a group of men. I found myself thinking, I've got no words for this man. I've got nothing. I've not even got a prayer. So I thought, what am I praying? I don't know. So I had to lay the hands on it. And God just said to me, just say that. I've got nothing to share, Lord. I don't know. So, and, so I said that. And as I was saying it, the Spirit brought words to me. And then I had one or two pictures whilst I was saying, well, God, I'm so grateful, even though I've got nothing to say. You've got so many things to say. I think, and by that, I just felt, and I had a prophetic word, a word about his future. And he started to cry, and, and I thought, well, I don't know, <laughs> you know. It's just about honesty. It's not to make up something. It's just feel relaxed. Don't make up something. Just pray and say, you know, here, I, I need God in this area. And just, uh, if you don't feel that freedom, don't say it. If you feel that freedom, say it. Let's pray for one another. Can we do that? So pray in the same group or with other people. If you've got a particular person in your heart, pray for them. So let's finish off with praying and asking God for a real encounter with him, whatever area you want prayer for. Yeah? Okay, let's do that.